Apple presents Meet the Musician at the Apple Store. Please welcome this evening's guest moderator, music correspondent of Esquire, Fuse, Village Voice, and more, Hillary Hughes. Thank you so much for coming. Who's excited to see the Jezebels? Everybody? Awesome. Okay. Um, so, actually, we are going to bring Haley and Nick out in a little bit, but before we do, um, they just released The Brink in February. Um, it is their sophomore record. It's fantastic. How many of you have listened to this already? Okay, so you kind of can't stop listening to it once you start, right? It's just, it's an earworm. It's a really, really great poppy record full of really awesome, fantastic dance anthems, and they're going to play some of that for us tonight, so we're really excited about it. Um, but I guess we're just going to bring them out, Yeah. Sweet. Okay, so give a big round of applause for Haley and Nick from the Jezebels. Hi, guys. Hey, how you going? So, hi, welcome back to New York, you guys. Thank so you. When was the last time you were here um, before uh, Saturday? It was, um, it's been a while, right? It was when we ago, played Webster it? Hall, I believe, actually. Thank you. It was yeah. two okay. years ago. 2012, yeah. That was during CMJ, I think, right? That's right. That yep. was an epic show. Well, so it's been a while, and you've done a lot of crazy things since then. You guys have yeah. toured the world a few times over. You were living in London for a minute. Um, but why don't we... Well, we're going to catch up about all of that. But I'm kind of interested in where you guys have been since the drop of the record, like since February. Can you bring us up to speed from... The drop of the brink to now? Yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, we, we released it uh, late January, uh, it, first in Australia, and we were touring with Laneway Festival, and Australia was the first part of touring the new record. Then after that, we did a UK-European tour, and we had a, a couple weeks off, and then we went back to Australia for our own headline tour, and a festival called Groove in the Moo. I'm being very specific here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> details. We, we can like sync details. our calendars, um, you can see <laughs> if you want. Later. Um, no, yeah, so we had our own shows and now we're here in America. So it's pretty we did much Canada been. Canada and America, back yes. and forth between the two. Yeah. For the last few weeks. And what do you love about touring in the States specifically? What's something that you really like about coming back to the United States and being able to play crazy shows here? If I'm honest, I really like it's this thing you get in America and not many other places where people tell each other they're looking great on the street. Like you're yeah. walking down the street and people are like, your hair looks great. And you're like, wow. I, ha I thought it looked terrible today. That's so good. Thank you, stranger. And then another person says, hey, you having a great day? And you're like, yeah, because you spoke to me. I like that about America. You are it's where nice. you're saying this to New Yorkers, right? Who are not necessarily the friendliest yeah. people, but we're friendly, you guys. This I mean, exciting. okay, maybe there's some people that are way too cool to do that, but I hope that the old ways never die. Okay. I really do. What's the weirdest compliment you've received at a show? In the States, specifically. You know, if people have come up and been like, yo, your hair looks great, your outfit is awesome. I just complimented her jacket backstage, by the way, so I'm guilty of this, too. Or it's, it's awesome that I did that. But that's pretty weird. This, uh, I mean, yeah. I said the weirdest thing to you? No, okay. no, no. <laughs> um, weirdest compliment. probably accurate. Uh, I, don't, I can't think of any weird compliments. Sometimes people are um, surprisingly frank. I've had, someone's come up to me before and just said, you looked really awkward on stage. <laughs> That's, that's not a that's compliment. That's not very nice at all. <laughs> and that's okay. not a compliment. I can't think of any awkward, com like strange compliments, but... But no, in Germany, they have a tendency to compliment you and then give you... Wait, no, they give you a compliment, then an insult, then a compliment. Yeah. Compliment sandwich. It is a compliment it's very sandwich. Compli or an insult sandwich. complicated compliments. Because they feel they need to help you on your way. They're like, it was good. The second song was not so good. The rest of it was quite good. Or the drumming was not so great at the end, but the rest was very good. Well very done. Good. 
Awesome. And, um, and how has it been kind of getting to know the songs of The Brink specifically um, as you've been touring behind them? I mean, you guys, you just played a sold out show at the Bowery Ballroom. You just played Firefly. Um, you've got a very full summer ahead of you. Like, what is it about these songs that's been really great to get to know them kind of in a live setting? I guess that's, well, that was how we approached writing them this time because our last record was very much a studio record and like, let's just make stuff up as we record it. And then we got to playing them live and we were like, uh, just like that. How, how do we do this? And they're fine now, but with the brink, we were like, okay, let's make some songs that we can actually play first and then we'll record them. So it's been quite quick. I mean, always the, the older songs have a bit more of a comfort about them live because you've just, that's experience. But these ones have been great in the sense that they were written for live so that we could play them and it kind of shows because, actually, I don't know if it shows. Yeah. I, I feel like it does because it's easier than it used to be. That's good. <laughs> that's a good thing, yeah. Um, but it, like practice makes perfect, I guess. So yeah. That. Just insert your, your favorite cliche cheesy yeah, uh, thing in there. So. A man in the sand is <laughs> like a bird in the hand. Awesome. What's surprised you so far about your own set list? What's a song that you kind of weren't expecting to be one of your favorites to play every night or one that really kind of catches you off guard with, you know, how much of a huge dance party and inspires? Like, what, what's a, what's been the, the sleeper hit of the Jezebel set right now? One, I guess from the brink, I've noticed that Time to Dance, the, the second song on the album. Um, it's interesting because you, when you play your older songs, I guess that's perhaps what your fans uh, first listened to when they began to like your band. So those always can get a pretty positive reaction, uh, depending on how we're going. <laughs> but no, from, from the brink, uh, it's time to dance. You notice the crowd actually perks up a little bit more for that song. So it's hard to know. It's like you look out into the crowd and you're trying to think, trying to read them, see, see what's going on, see what's happening. And yeah, I think Time to Dance has is, is gotten a nice uh, reception uh, in, in the live setting. So that's nice. I should <laughs> certainly hope so with that title too. That'd be really funny if people were just kind of standing. Yeah, cross-armed. Yeah. It's still not a really dance really song. I, I, yeah. thought, I think I heard you say dance anthems and I was like, yes. Well, I mean, Someone I noticed that. personally have some private dance parties in my apartment to that record. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure I'm not as alone. As long as you like Anybody slow dancing, no. which is the best Maybe. kind. <laughs> <laughs> On the tra yeah, that's good. Okay. Um, but well, so what's um do you when you're preparing for shows? Speaking of like this this dance anthem situation, um, what do you listen to to really get psyched up? Hmm. List, so like you mean like just before the show? Either that or something that even if you're writing, I know that some people you know <laughs> they get fixated on records when they're in the recording process or writing. What's something that's really inspired you either to you know go crazy um, before a show or in the creative process? I, I have a pretty weird pre pre show mix. You do that includes Bocelli's "Time to Say Goodbye." Wait, and, and, Andrea uh, Bocelli is on yeah. your pre show mix. That's very yep. dignified. That's <laughs> and, uh, very and it, like Wicked Game by Chris Isaac. And basically I just get really down before. <laughs> this is really cheery. No, right no, no, no. That's just like what I feel like listening to. And I don't know. It is yeah, like, should, sometimes I'm like, okay, here we go. We're going to we play a show. Let's do it. And then you're like, it? you start Andre Bocelli. And I'm like, <laughs> oh dear. Time that's a very, uh, it's a beautiful song, it. but it's, it's hard to sort of. I like it. Well, I'm it makes glad you me play feel it. it makes me feel really emotional and um, like it's it's an important song. Like I have this dream. It's a metaphysical job that I would like to invent. That it would be my dream job that every time someone dies, I get to sing that to them as they're going towards the light. So you want to be the angel of death, basically. No, that's but your, like, but I'm 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 like the wife of the reaper. Like I'm going. It's okay. Goodbye. It's all good. 
It's except this, it's beautiful. You know, we're all okay. I think so. Even you're dead. I just fell in love with you a little bit more <laughs> <laughs> because of that, Haley. So that's fantastic. Okay. Um, awesome. Uh, that's a good outcome of that story. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> okay. Um, I really wasn't expecting the conversation to go to the Grim Reaper uh, within five minutes, but that, that's yeah. Look, so. you, sorry. Um, <laughs> no, it's, it's great. Well, so you guys spend. You're you're still currently based in Australia, but I know the last time that we spoke, um, you guys are kind of citizens of the world at this point. You recorded the record in London. Yeah, right? I still live there technically. I awesome. think. Okay. Okay. If my possessions are still in my house when I get back. Got you. Okay. Well, so wait, meaning you still live in you have London? Yeah, in London. I, I, that's awesome. where I pay an exorbitant amount of rent. <laughs> Got you. And yeah, that's where you apparently live when you have this job and you mainly live out of a suitcase. Exactly. So, well, in that regard, I guess, what's been the most inspirational part about being kind of a musical nomad and being able to really not necessarily be tied down to Australia or to have a reason to necessarily like be going back there? I mean, is it is it hard to not necessarily have a music scene to call home in that regard? Or is it kind of, you know, what what's the benefit of, of being in that kind of situation? I think it's, I don't, for one, when I realized we we're probably going to go on tour for a very extended period of time, I sort of liberated myself from my possessions. <laughs> so I got rid of just about everything. And now I have uh, luggage that weighs about 28 kilos that has everything I need in it to do anything I need to do. So it's actually quite nice in that sense. You sort of feel pretty free to not have, be tied down with your possessions and your, and I don't know, your home and that, that kind of thing. And then other times I just want to, I would love to just wash the dishes in my house, which I, I can't. You can wash yeah. my dishes <laughs> if you want to. You can come, come back to Brooklyn There's some that. homely comforts that you miss out on for sure, but it is, it's a pretty remarkable feeling to, um, to feel uh, free enough to li literally pick up your suitcase and go anywhere at any point in time. And do you think that that kind of, that opens up uh, the creative floodgates, so to speak, is that something that kind of helps in when you're songwriting and when you're constantly moving about? Is that an inspirational thing? I think it can help and hinder. I, like a lot of music is about place and location. If you if you feel displaced, that could be a good thing, or it could be like eh, I have no idea what to say here because you're floating between places. But yeah, maybe I like this term "citizens of the world" because then you start feeling like the world is your place, and you might just write about the world and. That could work. I think. I think it it can just both both help and hinder. To be honest. Gotcha. Well, and uh, we had spoken about a song in particular where you mentioned a pickup truck in a very scandalous capacity. But you. <laughs> so there's a song on the new record. Is sex um, scandalous? I wasn't. I wasn't aware. You know, we were discussing backstage what uh, rating this podcast would get in terms of whether or not it's PG-13 or R. I think we're going to go into R territory right now. All right. Talking about. Uh, I'm going to pull uh, out some words that we use down under. Truck. So um, well. <laughs> So, but a pickup truck is not what you call a pickup truck in Australia. No, we call it a ute. Okay. But ute didn't have the same ring to it. And what is ute short for? Utilitarian. It's a utility vehicle, I think. Yeah, a ute. Yeah. Awesome. Something that you utilize. Okay. Well, so that's interesting <laughs> Transporting to me. things. But it, it looks like a pickup truck. It's, it's got basically the, it's the equivalent of a pickup truck. Cool. Okay. Um, well, so, but on that token, it's interesting that, you know, you're from Australia. Um, you specifically chose not to use that phrase, which is, you know, comes naturally in conversation. And that was kind of, I feel like that's a really, that's an interesting shift where this mm. definitely segs in line with the fact that you guys are very international people at this point. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's not necessarily the more natural. Mm. I love how I'm getting into like serious linguistic conversations right now. But yeah, let's this go is there. I like it. Like, well, so, but do you think that, um, do you feel a more gradual kind of international shift in your thinking when it comes to your own music? Is it something that you see kind of crystallizing in your lyrics and your approach? The, the general answer to that is yes, 
for sure. But this the specific answer about the pickup truck was that one, it just sounded better, but also um, it was something to do with mass culture, that song, and I wanted yeah. it to be like a kind of anti-snobbery song. Like I could take you in the most basic vehicle right now, which is a pickup truck, because everyone knows it because it's American culture. Like if you said ute, people would be like, what an obscure reference. Shall I, I look no it up? Like it just me. wasn't really going to appeal to the masses, the ute thing. So pickup truck was about like, I'm just going to take you down in a pickup truck. I don't even care. Just anyone's pickup truck. I'm just having this now and type what, thing. And that's what it was about. That's and what song is this on the record so that people can it's listen to it? It's called Look of Love. It's actually not actually that crass, but I don't think it's uh, crass. Described it it's a universal theme. It's something that people can relate to. So. It's about giving in to desire. There you go. In the most base way you can possibly think of. <laughs> that's fantastic. Um, so when we're talking about kind of comparing um, the places that you've lived and recorded and things like that. And going back to London, which has such a really colorful, wonderful history with, with rock and roll too, specifically. Um, I guess, what was, um, what's your most vivid memory from you know, creating The Brink? Either being in the studio or writing it or kind of just being in your apartments in London that you're living in. You know, when you think back on what went into making this record, what's one of your, your favorite and most vivid memories from that time? Do you have one? Um. Well, uh, the, the first three months we were writing demos in a rehearsal studio that was under an abandoned train line and sort of an arch, and that was all quite romantic, I thought. I quite liked it. And we it got snowing. to watch the seasons change, and the seasons are really quite pronounced in London, obviously, which is something that I've only ever lived in California or Sydney, and it's just sort of nice and hot, mostly. So it was, I don't know, I, f I feel like actually being in a place where the seasons... It, uh, dictated people's way of life quite a lot. People have to live a little bit more in the seasons and in the snow and that I think just experiencing that while we were writing was really so I can sort of remember when we were like working on each song where the seasons were at and like what what London was doing and how it was feeling in a way. So yeah, I thought that was yeah, that was that was a pretty good vivid memory. <laughs> that's, that's good to hear Seasons. too, because we would rather trade in our winters, I'm sure, for a really lovely time in Sydney when it's yeah. not <laughs> negative twenty and snowy and everybody yeah, hates no, each other. No. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. That's great. Um, what do you miss about Australia when you're on the road? Uh, or California? Well, you you've been in, <laughs> in Australia for a while, yeah. Or, oh yeah, fifteen okay. years. Yeah, <gasps> that's I just cool. don't sound like it at all. Well, so I met him backstage and I didn't want to say anything, but I was like, you're not. Nope, that's, that sounds more familiar, but awesome. Yeah. So well, what do you miss about, I guess, about Sydney or, I guess, familiar haunts from Australia when you, well, you leave? Sydney's, like, probably one of the luckiest, like, if, if you live there, you're one of the luckiest people in the world. I mean, the, they don't call Australia the lucky country for no reason. I'm not saying it's the best country, because sometimes when you have privileges, you've done bad things to get it, but... It's pretty amazing to live there. The, the quality of life's incredible. The food's incredible. The people are friendly. You know, it's not... I will walk through most suburbs of Sydney alone in high heels at night and, and I'll survive most of the time. Do you Sometimes like I don't survive, but... Sorry, in my life, that's totally... Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, the food, it's, I was like, it's ah. a safe... It's a safe, high, high quality of life place and you can't really... When you travel around the world and you meet people who have come from, like... We, we had a show in London where we met a girl from Saudi Arabia who'd flown over to see us, who was in a band, and she said, like, every time they play, they get shut down and they have to just, like, go to warehouses and try and play a show. And, and she'd read about some things that we'd said about feminism on the internet and she came to London to see us. And I was like, wow, 
like that's pretty incredible that there's I guess like when you leave when you leave Sydney or even like America or anywhere and you go oh there's some serious privileges that I've been living under that I wasn't aware of it's just what traveling does I, sp I suppose so well, for sure. And it's, it's great that you're able to have that experience with your fans. Yeah. You know what I mean? That you can kind of, I feel like you guys are very, you're very direct and you're very honest in your lyrics and it opens up communication like that. So you're writing about real stuff. You're not necessarily just kind of writing lyrics for the sake of writing them. Do you know what I mean? So I feel like that mm. kind of facilitates those, that kind of dialogue. But Thank you, I'm going to say. You just got real deep there. <laughs> All right. Uh, Sorry. So back to Vegemite. That was a fun joke. Yeah, let's talk about Crocodile Dundee. Um, are you sad about the World Cup? No. I am. I'm Sorry. Bummed. I mean, yes. It's a real shame for you guys in the last minute and all that stuff. You do have the uh, best <laughs> name, though. So, um, for those who don't know, Australia's national uh, football team. The Socceroos. And if you look on Wikipedia, it actually, it, it's kangaroo, it's an affiliate, like a variation on kangaroo for all of your teams, yeah? Something yeah. Like I, look, I'm not the sportiest of people. Got you. Okay. So, I can't really translate that whole language <laughs> to you. But, um... Yeah, actually, I from, come from, like, a Glaswegian family, so it's called football in my household. Gotcha. And you, okay. you call the other one the egg-shaped ball. Do you call it? And you're not allowed to play with the egg-shaped ball. Okay. So that's all I know about <laughs> football. There will be no uh, single from the Jezebels about football. Not going to happen. Mm, I don't know. You never know. That. You never know. There's a pickup truck. That's true. There you go. Uh, Nothing's not off limits. Huge. Nothing's off limits. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Um, so, uh, festival season, we're in the midst of it. You guys just played Firefly. Um, what was your, your favorite moment from Firefly in 2014? Well, we weren't there that long. Like, we just kind of got in, did some press, and then played. So, uh, my favorite moment would be playing, and that was, was an extended moment. We were, um, we were in the forest stage, which was, like, on the other side of the festival, and we'd finished playing, and, you know, things were getting packed up and stuff, and they had these buggies that drive around the festival. And uh, as they were give us, giving us a lift back to our dressing rooms, a uh, band of horses were playing Funeral um, on the main stage right next to us. And that song has been like a bit of an anthem for us. Um, for everyone. It's yeah, just an anthem it is, straight It on. is an anthemic song. And that was really, it felt, it felt like we played a good show and that was cool. And then we were being driven back and band yeah. of horses were doing this incredibly epic live. Uh, Such a good song. Yeah, of their song. So that was, that was my favorite memory. Awesome. Yeah, that was yeah. a good moment. That's great. And you guys are about to go to Glastonbury, mm -hmm. which is huge. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, so well uh, is there anyone you're hoping that, to catch when you go to Glastonbury as well? Or do you not really get the chance to do that? I mean, you just did. Not always, but is. Dolly Parton's playing, right? I th yeah. Who said yeah? Yeah, she's, are you going she's to a hero. Me too. I'm not. Uh, so that's awesome. Yeah, I would love to see her and all her parts <laughs> and just the genius that is that woman. Yeah. Yeah, she's a great one. That's awesome. That's great. You should, yeah. I feel like Dolly Parton would be a really great get psyched. Oh, yeah. You know, just listening to anything she's ever done before you get on stage. Awesome. Especially when you go to Nashville. Next time you go to Nashville, you should play Dolly in okay. the dressing room before yeah, you Yeah, yeah, for sure. Awesome. Um, <laughs> so, sorry, guys. I'm kind of rambling. I'm just excited to talk to you. This is great. Yeah. So, thank um, you. What is, what's an accomplishment on the brink that you're really, really proud of? You know, when we kind of we look back at your previous work, and this is your sophomore release, I mean, you guys really you completely relocated your, yourselves to make this record. I mean, there was a lot of commitment that was involved in making this, this body of work happen. So what's your proudest accomplishment when you go back and you listen to it and you think about listening to the masters and just kind of everything that encapsulates this record in particular? What are you most proud of? Um, well, I love London, right? It's an amazing, cynical, wonderful place. And, but my, my proudest moment was when I sat down on my couch 
And everyone had been like, oh, don't move to London because you're already kind of dark and you'll just become really dark and morbid. Just don't, don't make a record there. And we were like, I don't, I don't think so. I think we're going to be all right. And I sat down and I went, this really is not a London record. And that was my strangely most proud moment because we didn't really get caught up in anything to do with scenes. I mean, we've never come from a scene and we've never aspired to a scene. And there's benefits to scenes, but it just never really suited us. And I think we could have fallen into the trap of trying to sound London pretty easily, but we just failed to sound London. And I was kind of like, cool, we're still us. And that was my weird, proud moment. That's awesome. Well, and so for comparison, <laughs> who, what's a band that you think really sounds London? That isn't, that's kind well, of... Well, they're, they're actually great bands. I just was happy that we didn't transform just to, you know, suit what was cool in the immediate vicinity. Okay. Um, well, because the know. record is actually very light. I mean, we're talking exactly. about dark and, and that kind of thing. I just, I <laughs> yeah. don't think that it's dark at all, really. It's but. lighter than it should be, really, because we were in a dark place, I think. That, that was what kind of made me proud of it. Gotcha. We used it as pulling, it, pulling us out of the, the snow and the dark. Oh, I like that. It's a vehicle <laughs> for happiness. Yeah, it was. That's awesome. I don't know if that made sense. Maybe Nick has some more tangible moment of pride to share. <clears throat> hmm. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm proud that we made the album, <laughs> that it was finished, <laughs> to yeah. be honest with you. I don't know. You, know, you, make, you spend all that time making an album. And I guess, you know, to speak frankly, like there's a lot of second guessing that goes into it, and there's a lot of uncertainty. And... Um, nothing will ever feel as good as actually just having completed it because that means you've, you've worked through all of that to actually come out the other side and have 10 tracks on a CD that represents all, you know, everything you tried so hard to do. Our period so, in time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's, yeah, a vague answer once again, but, you know, there's a couple yeah, of We're not really, I, I like, like, that <laughs> proud of people, the Jezebels. We're kind of very sort of self-critical and odd so, yeah, it wasn't like, oh, dark, I'm really proud of this bit, again. you know. But there's a few songs that I think we're probably proud of. I mean, all of them, but, yeah. I quite like No Country. That's my favorite at the moment. That's your favorite? Yeah. Awesome. But at the moment, tomorrow it'll be different. There you oh. go. Awesome. And on that note, we're actually, we are moving on to the Q&A portion with you guys. So, hi. You mentioned some of the, uh, you know, second guessing. On Look of Love, the initial version is different instrumentally than on the album version. It's, a, it's slightly, there's a more, there was more drum on the video release relative to the al album release. How did you decide what's... Oh, so yeah, that's a radio um, edit. It, okay, was that yeah. what it was? We've never really been able to write radio-length songs. I don't know, just too much to say. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's, that's, the, that's the main thing. We just cut out, like, a whole lot, didn't we, and just yeah. squeezed it together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the only way to answer that. Yeah, you, you yeah. cut out parts of the songs to, just to make it a bit more concise, I guess. Um, yeah, I blame the consumer <laughs> citizen. <laughs> yeah. So how is it trying to get work or trying to get noticed over there in Europe? Do you mean like shows? Any type of work when you're, when you're a musician yeah. who's like aspiring to get seen and get like... Trying to know, get a record deal? Uh, a record deal, yeah. yeah. Well, what you guys are doing sounds even cooler, so that's why I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> well, the internet is a wonderful and scary place. Okay, um, yeah. I guess it's luck Thank as you. well. We had, like, a, a video that went viral that we just kind of let this person put our music on, 
and um, it was a, a mountain biking video. So that that kind of I think meant that we could tour overseas. But the ma- the main thing I would say is actually just ignore whether people are interested or not and just keep going, because even within Australia, it wasn't like. The, the reason we don't have a record deal in Australia is because people didn't really ask us to until such time as we didn't need one. So we were like, well, we like this and a number of people like it, so we'll keep going and we'll tour and gradually break down whatever barriers need to be broken down. And um, then people were like, hey, do you want a record deal? And we were like, no, we're fine. But, yeah, that's what I would, I would say. Just, just try Just play wherever you can. And just ignore everyone who doesn't help you. <laughs> so I was going to ask a different question, but then I got lost looking into your album artwork. Yeah. It's Care to nice. explain? Well, <laughs> we didn't paint it, so I don't want to get too deep, but it's by a Polish man named Jarek Puczel. I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, basically, we actually we were talking about all of our recent, uh, all of our previous, sorry, artwork was photography, and we were planning on doing photography. But then the album started coming out, and it just felt warmer than photography. So we were like, okay, let's find a painting. And then we thought about commissioning someone. But um, I had a big chat with our um, graphic designer, who does all our album artwork, and basically just talked about the themes of the album and how it was about sort of intimacy and alienation in today's world and. He was like just Googling intimacy and alienation, I think, and that came up because they're sort of faceless, but it's really romantic and you don't know whether it's a woman or a man and the ambiguity at the same time is like a very specific romantic feeling sort of just struck us and we were like, let's just ask him if we can use that. And we used his artwork throughout the whole thing. It was just luck, basically, that someone was thinking the same way we were in a visual way in Poland. Uh, hi guys, um, I saw you guys at Johnny Brenda's last Thursday and you were awesome. And oh, I, cool. I, I saw you outside after the show. That's that was right, me. Yeah. yeah. How are you? Uh, good. Um, good. My question is sort of follows up with uh, the gentleman back here about um, that you're independent and the fact that you put out three EPs, five songs each. Was that a conscious sort of, because it seemed very, it's interesting, you know, each had five songs and then the titles of each EP was like a sort of a cascade from the something than previous. And was that sort of a, intentional thing or was it just based on you know because it had to happen that way based on where you were as a band you'll it's both i guess yeah i mean there was a pragmatic element to it like it's like we could we could dive in head first right now and try and write an album but we don't feel like we're quite ready for that we want to just sort of see what happens write songs naturally and 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 see how it sort of progresses naturally Naturally, naturally, naturally. Um, so we thought, um, well, if this is how it's going to be for us, what's the best way to deliver our music to people in a way that, um, I don't know, is interesting and sort of makes sense? And we had the idea of, of instead of releasing, disappearing for a year to write all these songs to release one album, we could release them, um, you know, as, as we sort of wrote them. And then the idea of linking them thematically as sort of a, a trilogy, as it were, of EPs, it just made sense. I don't know. I don't know why. I just I like. We like the idea. I, I mean, Indiana Jones, Star Wars are good trilogies. trilogies. Yeah. Epic, epic stuff. Yeah. Really. <laughs> it's just. It was just all about the epic, and also financial reasons. Like, yeah. an album costs a lot, and you only get one round of publicity. 
Whereas yeah. if you do three EPs, you know, you get to gauge the waters and get a few more interviews and a few more sort of a, a, a bit more of coverage, I suppose. You can tour three EPs instead of one album. <laughs> and also we were just weren't not good enough to write an album yet, I think. <laughs> That's sort of the truth. <laughs> okay, yeah. We, can, yeah. we were finding our feet. So um, as a jazz musician, one of the things I love about performing is improvising and having each live performance be something completely different, something completely like new. Yeah, like that. Woo. Random things blue. happen. It's like you planned it. Um, as a band that may not get the chance to improvise when you're on stage or have changing elements, do you find live performances ever getting tiring? Do you feel a need to change things up? How does that sort of work out? Wow, that's a that's a funny question. Well, at least for me, because basically I um every performance I, I technical proficiency is what I aim for always. So I want every single note to be perfectly in time and exactly right and be exactly the same every single time I play. And until I can have that, I'm generally not satisfied at all. So, um, we're just so even the idea satisfied. of improv, like improvising that's just it's so crazy when you say it, how foreign it feels to me i can't actually do that i can't play anything i haven't thought about for a very long time on the drums <laughs> yeah so it does feel a little bit tiring because you're always working for the for the exact same thing i am at least every single time and that yeah that can get a bit exhausting but it's still like that challenge that's my challenge and that's how i how i approach what i do i guess for me, it's kind of like the opposite. I realize that it's impossible to get the same thing every time. So if you're looking at the argument in degrees, like we're jazz musicians too, because it never, your voice never comes out the same and you just want it to sound good and be a human that is expressing yourselves to other humans and hopefully they'll relate at that time. And it doesn't always happen. So yeah, in my mind, when I started accepting that it's not always going to be the same, and it is more of an improvisation, even though it doesn't sound like it to people. I was kind of, I started enjoying shows more because I was like, yeah, the note was kind of wrong, but I sang it for real, at least. You know? Wasn't on the track or anything. Or something like that. So, yeah, I, I kind of like the idea that it's all just different degrees of improvisation. It's never, it's, we're not machines, so it's, it's, so it's technically jazz, is what I'm saying. <laughs> Maybe I should get in on that, actually. Totally. Yeah. I've been telling you for years. Just yeah. chill out, man. Just let it go. <laughs> uh, one of my favorite songs on the, uh, on the Brink is Time to Dance. And it, it, the lyrics just really speak to me. And I'm just curious. I mean, it means something to me, but I'm just curious what it means to you. What it, what Can the you go really first? Mean. <laughs> I don't want to limit your like mind with it, you know. Yours um, is probably better. Uh, I I doubt it. Um, I have a uh, a really difficult business that really takes a lot out of me, and I've been doing it for close to thirty years now. And sometimes you just get so caught up in that, then that you actually step back and ask yourself, "What am I doing this for? When do I get to enjoy?" you know, the fruits of my labor, and that's kind of why I love that song, because I often ask myself, when, do, when is it going to be my time to dance? Yes. Well, you just hit the nail on the head for me. That's exactly what I was thinking. I mean, it, it work, it's in everything. It's like success is this elusive thing. And you get it in a band as well, because people look 
at a band from the outside and they see it at like this trajectory and and they're like, oh, what's it like to be successful? And you're like, I don't know, Just ask ACDC or the Strokes or something. Um, but they're apparently asking you because you're apparently successful to them and it's all a little bit of an illusion, but at the same time, it's the journey that counts probably, I don't know. But yeah, it's, it's like, that's exactly what it was about. It's this kind of searching for success or happiness or... And also, strangely in my weird brain, I feel like it's a little bit about the exploitation of resources and how we're always looking for a new gas or a new... That was a big issue in Australia the last few years. There's a mining boom and it's like, we're going to use this now, and, but we're still not that happy, but we're going to use this one now and this resource here and keep using them until such time as we have to go to the moon and use those resources. I don't, I don't know. It was just about this constant using up of our energy to get to somewhere that we never recognise, which made me feel confused and a little bit tired. <laughs> and just like I wanted to just dance and chill out on like a desert somewhere. Yeah, so that's, yeah, you, you basically hit the nail on the head. <laughs> Still, still not quite time to dance yet, though, is it? It's we'll always time to dance. <laughs> <laughs> Thank okay, you cool. so much for being here, the Jezebels. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very Thanks much. Go us. listen to the record as soon as you get home. I'm going to do it. <laughs>